Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here with Fiscal Fitness, and we're delighted to have join us Terry Hilliard Olson. She's an estate planning attorney. Apparently, October is uh, estate planning month, and we'll be talking about that. Of course, we want to go through what we see in the market these days, and then we'll get into what we need to do to prepare for life changing right before our very eyes in our own homes and, of course, within our families. So let's talk about the market. And gee whiz, you know, first we need to say thank you for all of those of you who have been in service or are in service, worn a uniform for your country. We certainly appreciate you and thank you for your service. Uh, it's, it's so important. And I think every time we have an opportunity to say uh, something of respect to each other, particularly during these times, it's a, it's a healthy thing to do. Speaking of these times, for many Americans, the last four years have been uh, difficult or more like waiting to exhale. And maybe we can exhale and breathe now, I hope, uh, with maybe a little more, um, less chaos in, in, in the environment, in the mix, and a little more consistency. I'll even take a little boredom. And you know, uh, I happened to catch uh, one show where Essie Cupp, C-U-P-P, she's a host of a, of a broadcast on CNN. And she said that um, her she, she said, you know, I have, a, I have a son and I don't talk to him about the politics because he's five and he has a life. But he walked into my room when there happened to be both the, the vice president-elect and the president-elect on the screen. He goes, well, what's going on? And she says, well, there you have it. You have a new president and a new vice president. Now, this is out of the mouths of babes, right? Five years old. He goes, mom, does that mean you could be president? And she just started laughing and crying at the same time. And, and, and to me, that is so powerful as an anecdotal message and, and message, you know, for people to see what you can do, particularly in these United States, as opposed to what you're not supposed to do, because heaven forbid you're female or you're a different color, or you have something about you that is not sufficient, and that way you're not good enough. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in, in those messages where particularly the children in our country raise their heads up and go, I can raise my sights on ter in terms of what I might do or what I might be, as opposed to limit my expectations relative to what I'm going to do when I grow up. So uh, that's my take on it real quick. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this a lot more. Uh, and, and, and it does have something to do with the market. Uh, it looks like there was uh, a lot of uh, upside to growth stocks up until recently. And it may be that under a Trump administration, it is expected that growth stocks will do better. In contrast, uh, there are those who believe that in a Biden administration, value stocks will do better. So that might begin to explain what's been happening with the Dow just this week or so, just since the election, really. And in fact, when we look at, uh, we talk on this show every time that we have the uh, opportunity to be with you to look at how the markets are doing year to date. The year to date means January 1 through a uh, real time quote that's as of uh, 308 Eastern time uh, today. And as of Friday, the Dow was in negative territory. As of this moment for the year, the Dow has moved pretty nicely in positive territory, up about 3.32% for the year 2020. Now, that's not a bad number, but let's look a little, a little bit further, and we'll see a much better number with the Standard & Poor's 500. That's the 500 largest stocks in the country. It's a, probably a better gauge in terms of what's going on overall as far as the country is concerned. The Dow has been maybe listed 
or noted for being more old style companies. The S&P 500 is a mixture. And last I looked, by the way, it's about 27.6% comprised with tech stocks. So it's clearly uh, uh, reflecting what's going on with tech stocks. And so far this year, again, that's January 1 through right now, uh, the, uh, the, the day is up a half of 1% so far, and the year is up 10.69. That's a nice number for, the, for January 1 through today. Now, the NASDAQ, on the other hand, is still shooting the lights out, and it's up like 31%. The last high I saw, I believe, was up 34%. For the year, so it's backed off some, uh, and it looks like there's been some movement in some countries, particularly China, out of tech stocks. So we've seen a little bit of a retrenchment. But the thing that I really want you to recognize here is that this dispersion. In other words, when we look at the Dow being up three, we're not disappointed with that number. But when the Nasdaq is up ten times that, thirty-one point two three percent, that's a huge difference. And and why this is important is because this is how many times we get lost looking at the indexes. That's why we look at the, the year, for example, as opposed to the day, because it just gives you a perspective that may not be well, it may not have a strong foundation. And what we're seeing in terms of the, the foundation right now, there's a, a large dispersion. In other words, from three to over 30% in stocks is a large dispersion, which suggests that there is not been a lot of volume. That's something to watch for, when, particularly when the market is up. We want to see all stocks participating. It's kind of like if you're going to the horse races, you don't want to see particularly your horse, your horse bloodied at the gates just after you know we get the alarm to it's time to take off. So we'd like to see more breath. That's with a D more volume with uh, all of the stocks that people invest in as opposed to just some of the stocks. The reason that's important is if we look at 2000, 2002, we can see that the NASDAQ at that time was uh, running away with all of the gains and then it turned around violently. And most of those gains were in the top five to 10 companies back in 2000, 2002. It's a different set of companies today. They are more solid than they were in 2000, 2002, but the same kind of event is happening from the standpoint, the volume's not there. Now, hopefully that will change, but as you have been listening to what we've been sharing with you, what we want you to make sure you do is to take the time to prepare for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. And by that, I think the best way to get you in that kind of modality, if, if you will, is while we have this time, the COVID, we're not driving as much, we might be a shutdown in a minute, right? Look at your finances, because so many people just look at it from the standpoint, well, it's back, uh, it's higher than it's ever been, I'm doing okay. No, look at it as the worst case you have seen, go back and see how bad that loss was. Because if conditions like that present themselves again, what makes you think your portfolio is going to magically hold up better the next time than it did the last time? No, that's probably, hope is not a, a strategy and hope and magic is not a reality. So we want you to see how bad it got and, and recognize that, sit there for a minute to see it, let it digest, and then look to see what might you be able to do to limit those losses. Because when you're off significantly, and I would say significantly would be as we get lower than 30% as a loss, it just becomes, and Daniel can explain this real well, how the hole that got dug just gets bigger <laughs> and the ability or the capability of getting back to even becomes more difficult because of the size of the hole is both deeper and it's broader you know, in its circumference. So we want to keep those losses or the, that, that, that dip in the road as shallow as possible because it just means the recovery doesn't take as much effort. And Daniel, speak to this for a minute. Give us an example, if you would, please, because math is one of those things that we as Americans, other than you, really are not that good at. Uh, but we need math and, and, and we need budgeting. And those are words that people who are affluent are not afraid to use. So help us with the math here, Daniel, so people can really grasp 
what we're trying to convey. So the easiest way to think about it is in hundreds when we're talking percentages. So start with, uh, let's say, $100. And if you lose 20%, you lose $20. So your 100 goes to $80. So now you need now your new starting point is 80 If you want to get back to even, you have to make back the 80 that you lost. So as a percentage, the question is how much is $20 on now your 80 It's 25%. So you need to make 25% on your 80 to get back to even. You lost 20, you need 25 to get back to even. And the math works the same when you go with larger numbers. So if you start with 100 and you lose 50%, you need to make a you need to make 50 on your 50, you need to double your money. You lose 50, you need to make 100. Yeah, and the way most of us look at it is if I lose 20%, I need 20% to get back to even. So help us see how that's that's just not the way it works. The same with the eighty percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, start, I, if, you, if you start if you start with hundred and you lose twenty, then you go down to eighty. So to make back the eighty, to make back the twenty that you lost, you need to make twenty five percent. You need to make back twenty on eighty, which is twenty five percent of eighty. So you lose twenty percent. You have to make back twenty five percent. And that's the point. It, you know, the math is uh, something that sometimes we try and do. I have two HP 12 C's because I'm not as good at math as Daniel. He can do it in his head. I have to use some machine. But the point is, whether or not you're using your fingers or your toes, we got to get <laughs> recognize how this really works. And, and, and sometimes, it, I mean, let's just look at some of our habits. In the old days, you didn't leave the house without your keys, your wallet, and your checkbook. And generally, when you wrote a check, what did you do? You balanced your checkbook. Now that everything is debited and there's automatic pay, who's paying attention to the bank balance anymore? Most of us aren't. And who's paying attention to our investment balance, uh, particularly in bad times? Most of us will take the statements and fold them and just stick them in a corner because we don't want to look. But see, that's setting ourselves up to be in shock and awe. And to me, that's not any fun whatsoever. We would rather, just as an example, like we saw February 19th through March 23rd in, in just over 30 days, markets off 30, 35%. Uh, many people's accounts were off those kinds of numbers. We would have liked to have seen uh, people hold up better. So maybe the loss was 5% or 15%. Any number lower or higher than 30, 35, as, as we say, means the hole isn't so deep and, and the possibility of recovering doesn't require a Hail Mary pass. Those Hail Mary pa passes are exciting when they work, <laughs> but when they don't, they're kind of disappointing because it just took all the air out of the balloon. So let's uh, look at another subject that uh, Daniel and I look at very closely, and this is Social Security. And we want to talk about some of the habits that people have. Some of them are good habits. Some of them are not so good. And of course, we all remember our parents telling us, you make your habits, then your habits make you. So we find one of the habits that many Americans are into, if you will, is they simply look at their Social Security benefit. And the only question they have is, how soon can I get how much? Now, one of the things we should be doing is making sure we get all of the credit. In other words, for the income that we've earned, that Social Security is recording that properly. That's number one. But don't get so preoccupied with how much, how soon that you avoid recognizing by waiting one every year you wait from the year that you become first eligible. And right now for most of us, it's 70 that it peaks out. But every year that you wait uh, from taking a benefit, you're starting your social security benefits, it's an 8% increase. Now you tell me what is guaranteed to go up 8% every year? Nothing. I don't know of anything. So let's understand that sometimes the first answer isn't the best answer. Now, truth is, if you're gonna die real quick, probably wanna start it real quick. But if you think longevity is on your side, let's put uh, something, you know, some time to look at the equation from the standpoint of how might an income be sufficient or working longer might help so that I can forestall starting those social security benefits. 
but and, and in fact, we'll come back after the break to look at what that difference might be because 8% is significant, but what is that in terms of dollar amount? So we'll look at the, the, some of the secrets that every retiree needs to know. Uh, we'll focus on uh, three of them uh, at, at the least, uh, but we're gonna go for a break. Daniel, give us instructions, please, and uh, so that we can get back from the break and be ready to rock and roll. You can find us on Twitter at, on, at Money On Course. We're on Facebook under Investors Advantage. And you can always reach us by email at contact at YBPOR. You can also call us in the office at 805-495-2077. Terrific. Folks, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YBPoor.com or call us at 805 495 2077. That's YBPoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here at Fiscal Fitness. And want to call a little attention to, uh, I have a new book out. Uh, we're going to be launching it on the 17th. But it's available at Amazon, either in a Kindle version, which, and, and by the way, Amazon does have an app for that that's free, or a paperback. So feel free to uh, pop into Amazon, pick up the book. Uh, I would appreciate if you have any comments, let us know what those are. Uh, and, and if you have some stars that you'd be willing to share, please be liberal with the stars because, uh, you know, once you finish the book, guess what? It's a new goal. And to be perfectly honest, that is, okay, now I have to get it on somebody's bestseller list. So, and I think the good news with Amazon is there are a number of lists that we're, we, the book could become a bestseller or I'm sorry, will become a bestseller with your help. So let's quickly touch on some of these social security issues so we can get Terry up and talk about how to take care of our elderly, which we're all becoming more and more alike, right? They just seem to be getting younger and younger every year. So I, I want to touch on, and some of this comes from The Motley Fool, which did a good job, that three things to look at relative to Social Security that you just can't afford to forget. And so they're calling them secrets, but they're not really secrets. It's just that, as I say, most people look for the first answer as opposed to spending a little more time delving into what's the best answer for you. So you can continue working even after you begin claiming Social Security. Now, for most people, full retirement age is 67. And for those born in 1960 or later, it's 66 and 66 in a few months for those born before 1960. Okay, so your benefits could be reduced depending on how much you're earning. And there's a formula for that. So keep that in mind. This one's important. If you're divorced, you may be entitled to extra benefits. 
married couples may be entitled to spousal benefits, but even if you're no longer married, you may still be able to collect extra money each month based on your ex-spouse's work record. And to be eligible for divorce benefits, you have to be at least 62, you cannot currently be married, and your previous marriage has to have lasted for at least 10 years. If you qualify for divorce benefits, the maximum amount you can receive is 50% of the amount your ex-spouse is entitled to receive at his or her full retirement. And this one's really important. You do have one chance to undo your decision if you start your claims too early. In other words, if you act fast, you have actually a 12 month window that where you may reverse your decision after you started claiming your benefits, but be prepared that you will need to repay all the money you've already received in benefits. Now this may not be feasible for, feasible for people for many people, but if you're able to undo your claiming decision, you could receive hundreds of dollars more per month by delaying benefits. And that's the whole point. In some studies, it's uh, oh, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Of course, you have to live, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't count. But the point is, is that, some, as I say, we get into this rut, just how much can I get right now, as opposed to let me see what I can do to delay starting my social security knowing it's the only thing I would submit in the world, certainly one of the very few things where right now, every year that you delay, the benefit starts, it increases by 8%. And you could make that decision from one year to the next. So it's not as though you, uh, you know, you have to make it and you're stuck with it. And you do have a chance to go back and do a, a do-over, if you will. Daniel, what are the, the, some of the thoughts that you have and uh, observations you've seen about social security? Well, let's start with a fun fact, John. So first okay. Social Security check was cashed in 1940 at $23. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the average Social Security check in 2019 was $1,471. So right. let me ask you, if, if you were to guess, what would be the average compounded growth over that time? Well, I mean, we always expect Social Security benefits to not do as well as inflation. So if I had to pick a number, but I, I appreciate the question because clearly most of us won't get this correct and I'm sure I won't either. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with 2.3% per year increase. That's where I would have been if you would have asked me to guess. It's actually 5.3%, which oh my blew goodness. me away. Yeah. Right. So the, the only thing is there, it's it's based on inflation and there were some very large inflation years in there. So it's, it's, actually, it's actually kept up much better than inflation over that 80 year period over the 80 year period. So folks, I, I don't think you have to worry about social security. Uh, I, we do believe that it's something you can, uh, you know, the Congress and the administration at some point will address it and make sure that this is kept intact, but it is something that everybody depends on. And let's understand, I, I know of a number of people who are getting their social security checks, no matter how much or how little that might be, they're not turning back any dime. So give yourself credit for the social security, give yourself credit for the pensions, and then uh, work on the difference, solve for the difference in terms of what you're going to need over and above pension and social security when you'd like to make work optional. So let's go to uh, Terry Hilliard Olson, our good friend. We've had the pleasure of working with over the last several years where we have a number of situations where the clients are looking at their parents and going, uh-oh, I don't know what to do. And the children, to the extent that they're speaking, God bless the families where the children are speaking. Now we have some decisions. What do we do with the house? Uh, what's going to become a mom's social security, dad's social security? What about the pension? What are we going to do with the money? Uh, is it now time for a nursing care facility? You know, How do you make that decision? And, and you just have to recognize, uh, first and foremost, that every decision, it, it, it feels like it's almost life-threatening. It's not. Yes, it's scary, but you're just trying to do the best you can, and, and that's all you can do in the moment. So Terry Hilliard Olson is in Westlake Village, and her practice centers on advanced estate and business succession planning, asset protection, special needs, trusts, and family protection planning for seniors. She's a private mediator focused on helping families, elders, individuals, and businesses resolve disputes through family meetings, and if needed, mediation. So uh, welcome aboard, Terry, and help us understand these, uh, I think you have five tips 
with aging at these uh, these difficult times as we get to the holidays and hopefully one way or the, well, one way or the other, we're gonna be with some of our family and, and we've got to deal with the conversation. We, we have to have the talk. So help us guide us through preparing for uh, you know these kinds of conversations, and uh, and by the way, October is uh, estate planning month, so this is all appropriate at this particular time of the year. Thank you, John. Thank you, Daniel. I'm honored to be here on this uh, Veterans Day. It is a very um, honoring day for all of our families and loved ones that served um, in the past, and um, and hopefully in the future as well. Uh, my father was a World War II veteran, as well as all of his brothers. The entire family served in World War II, and uh, we know that that's not allowed anymore to have the entire family uh, go into service at the same time and going. Thank goodness. Time of war, exactly. And so, but we do send our our wishes, and I am honored to speak today. Um, I noted that the uh, there's an actual Native American memorial. Um, for World War II contribution in, in wartime in, in D.C. that was just open today. So hmm. maybe we'll just look at it online. Okay. So, since um, we are doing things virtually these days, that's why this is so important. When we're talking about aging in place and the tips for our parents during these difficult times, I think it's really essential to, to really sit back and go, what does this look like for us? It's very different than when we were able to, let's say the Thanksgiving holidays are coming up. Uh, we're not really able to, to see eyeball somebody in person, hear them in person, see them in person. And how do we manage this? Our norms have changed. And today it's really a day by day management of this newest version of the crisis. How do we do this? And so I'm going to give you a few legal, legal and other tips on how to have number one, the talk with our family members. So I don't know about you, but my father was aging in place out here in the Caneo Valley and I didn't live in this area and I moved my family to be close by. And I had that luxury and that privilege to do so, so that I could be here um, as he was aging in place. Uh, many of us don't have that luxury, but we need to have what we call the talk. And the talk is, are we prepared? And as family members, we might have an aunt or an uncle or spouse, for instance, or aging parents or, or young people that aren't doing as well, we have to do a check-in. And the talk should look at a, at a couple of different things. Number one, we need to look at, is there a change in their health? This might be physical, and it might be mental, meaning there are capacity issues that can happen. Um, we are in a situation where we're isolated, many of us or our family members, and we have to see if if there is a difference in their cognitive ability, physical condition, or just maybe their mental health. It's a very lonely time for many people. Um, we are not uh, able to be as social, so the loss for many of us of the traditional family um, ties and celebrations will not be there. So we need to find a different way to um, manage those connectors and connections. So there's um, a family that I've talked about in the past where um, the families here in Los Angeles, the parents are in New York City in an assisted living, um, fairly independent living situation. There are no other relatives nearby the parents. And we talked about now what? How do you have that talk? How do you continue to support emotionally, your loved ones from afar. So many of us are going to have to get uh, care managers or other people in the area to do stop-ins, to do check-ins. Uh, many of us are not able to do that because of COVID. And so we may very well need to um, use other resources. Many of us are doing Zoom calls. We're getting the attendance at these assisted living or communities to actually 
um, assist our loved ones with having a phone call, having a video call. And we're going to need to look at how is their health and how can we support them. The other issue that comes up often over the holidays, for some reason, we all have health crises or crises. Um, I have had a lot of people entering the hospital because there's been a fall, there's been a, a, just a change in, in their uh, physical health. It could very well be that they're not eating well, they're dehydrated. Um, there are many reasons that people end up in the hospital. The hard thing that we have right now is that we're not able to go into the hospital with them or into the emergency room. We're doing a drop-off. So when we have family members that have cognitive issues and they're doing the drop-off, we have to really advocate for us being there, even though the rule, we need to be able to bend the rules. So you need resources like your attorney many times or the doctors to support you in being there for your loved one. These hospitalizations, if there is one, um, can be very, very problematic because if your loved one is not able to communicate well, um, then the care will not be what it needs to be. We need to be an advocate. Um, the other thing that we need to do is to make sure that we have our legal documents in place. Those are our tools in our toolbox. And that would be, first of all, a healthcare directive. So here in California, we use an advanced healthcare directive, and that gives the legal right for your loved one to make decisions for you if you cannot do it for yourself. But we also use a document called the HIPAA form. And this HIPAA form allows you to talk to the physicians even if your loved one isn't incapacitated or not able to make decisions for themselves. So that's your partnering document that you can actually send to the nurse's station or the doctor to make sure that you are able to be on the phone at that time uh, when there's an examination, etc. And the, the likelihood of a slip or a fall during this time for some reason is huge. So we have to anticipate that. So we have a relative that might very well be very independent until they aren't. And so do we have the tools in place? So we'd want to have that HIPAA form, and many people don't have that extra form, make sure that you do. Uh, the healthcare directive, which is very important, and a power of attorney, which is helpful if they don't have an, an otherwise a state plan. You want to be able to control and manage their funds if they're not able to do it for themselves. These are key, key, key things for us. Now, the other thing that I think is really important is remembering that you are the one. Um, you are usually the person that's responsible because if you're on this uh, show, that means that you care about your money, you care about your well-being and your family's well-being. And you're probably the one that they've designated as the designated hitter. If you're not in the same area, will that how are you going to facilitate that? Do you have a copy of the documents? Um, is your family member prepared? Out here, with all the fires that we've had, and you know, it's either fires or floods, it seems, or COVID, um, we all have to be ready to pack a bag and or pivot. And so, like John said, you gotta look at the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. Those are really essential. And the unforeseen is, COVID and also a change in health or even cognitive ability overnight. You just never know. So it's really important to be prepared and have, you know, put your mask on first is always my, my tip and make sure that you're healthy. You have all the documents you need in place, your tool and toolkit. And also, we also want to make sure that you have for your loved ones that emergency and communication kit. How are you going to communicate with your, your parents, your loved ones, the, the ones that are far away? And also your, maybe it's your college age child that actually is not at home in your garage like everybody else's. <laughs> maybe they are actually at school. How are you gonna manage all of that? You're Because you're their agent likely. Do you have the healthcare directive that they need? etc. 
But what happens often is that there'll be a change in cognitive ability. You have to manage it immediately to figure out, is this temporary? Is it permanent? Do we have the documents in place that we need if this is a permanent or a, a progressing disease or situation? And then we need to make sure that you have all of the tools um, to take care of that loved one. Beautiful. So we're going to go to a quick break, Terry, and we'll come back. And I know you have more to share. I know Daniel has questions. Daniel always has questions. Uh, and then I want you to help uh, guide us, please, in terms of how do you tiptoe into these conversations, right? What's, is there a way to broach the subject? We can't talk about politics. And so many of our families have been splintered because now we can't talk about anything because we just can't. Uh, but these things need to be discussed. So uh, well, let's yeah. go to a quick break and we'll be back and we'll uh, pick up with Terry Hilliard Olson, our resident estate planning attorney. Thank you. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YBPoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. So glad you could spend some time with Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace, here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. And we're talking with Terry Hilliard Olson, our resident estate planning attorney, and let me just kind of set it up this way from my own experience. I used to tell my mom, I, I moved my mom down from Northern Cal to Southern California, and things got really, well, dicey between my sister and I, who I thought we were always close. And then I discovered that's just not true. So this was something that was really something that kind of bothered mom, but I got around to making a joke out of it. And out of the blue, I would look at her and go, well, I'm sure glad you did one thing. She'd go, well, what's that, honey? I go, I'm glad you had two children. I'm so glad you had two children. So we had the best laugh because we both knew what we were talking about without talking about what we didn't want to talk about. So Terry, help us understand, how can we have these conversations that we need to have? As parents, we had to, talk, had to have the talk about sex with the kids. Now as parents, we have to have the talk about what to do with grandma and grandpa. How do we do that? Boy, that is a, a very, very, very important uh, point you're making, that starting the talk is one thing and finishing it without a lot of fisticuffs or upset or alienation of your parent or siblings or the like. Because families, you know, anytime there's 
um, decisions to make and you're uh, the child, let's say in this instance, parents don't want to be told what to do. So it's a very, and then the siblings go, oh, well, you're, you know, usually it's a, um, whatever happened in the sandbox comes out exponentially. It's whatever they're fussing about from before. You're the older one, you're the this or that. So that is a problem. So starting the talk, it's a very awkward situation. However, my tips are, as a mediator, is really not talking about them, but giving them examples of something that happened to you or something that came up and asking their opinion about it. So for instance, if we're not talking about them, we say, you know what, I've been with all the, the change um, that's happening right now, um, our family has gotten together and done an emergency kit. So we have a plan of action. And we've also, because of that, we set up our estate plan and we designated and updated our documents to make sure that if there was a crisis, who was going to be in charge? Who would be able to help us out while we get better or while we're away? Or if, if uh, we were to pass, you know, what would happen? And so when we talk about something like emergency kits in our community, we're doing this or we're setting up our banking automatically. We are setting up um, our shopping cart. Can I have you thought of maybe would that would that be something you might want to do? Um, what do you think about that mom or dad? And so when we when we use I call it chunking little bits it's like eating an elephant one bite at a time. Starting the emergency kit, um, even just a list of things. This is what we did. Can I help you provide that? Or if you're fine, great, no problem. Um, and so many times that'll get the conversation started and it can be very, very helpful. And know that there's always going to be a little tension because if there are, um, if you're not the only one, then it's not a lonely situation, but it might be a hard situation where you have a parent that has more than one child and one is bossy and one is a this and one is a that. Um, the parents are going to have a real hard time with it. They're the glue and know that when the glue is gone or not able to act for themselves, it will get very messy. So it's worth having that talk or taking it in little, little pieces. And it's a good time right now because unfortunately we've had to pivot. So we all are talking about what if. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, and, and, and speak to this, and I know Daniel has a question, but one of the things we found is people really get, you know, kind of, uh, they worry about uh, titles and registration and what's going to happen at death. And one of the simplest ways to make sure there's no confusion, there's no body involved, there's no court cases, is that uh, transfer on death. So explain how that works, please. Certainly. So many of us will have retirement plans, for instance, or other accounts that have a beneficiary. So those are payable on death to someone, same with life insurance. Um, sometimes we'll have joint accounts and maybe have a third party on it, and those will go automatically. And the problem is, is that it isn't always fair. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have the legal ability to control how our assets move upon our passing without getting into um, the court process, which we call probate. So if you die with, the, let's say, a real property in your name and you don't have uh, it in a trust or another way to transfer it to someone else, then you will um, create a probate, which takes about two years, 18 months to two years, and about four to 10 percent of the gross value of that asset will go to the courts and uh, legal fees. So we don't want to do that. So it is important to to be in control. And I think most of our family members and ourselves, we want to be in control. We want to know when I die, what happens to things. And we don't want anybody in our business. So that is certainly an incentive. Yeah, the transfer of death we found to be a very clean way, very efficient to, it's not, a, it's not a, an estate plan, it's not formalized, but there's no question who's next in line that's supposed to get the money. 
Um, and it, it makes it uh, very, very clean and very, very easy. And at these times, things uh, tend not to be easy or clean. They all get messed up. Uh, and, and so, Daniel, I know you've got a question, but also uh, pose it this way from the standpoint of some of the things we've seen where people have put together estate plans and you're the math man and we actually help clients read these documents that are Encyclopedia Britannica thick, right? Uh, but they don't really know what they say and how sometimes the languaging that one attorney prefers to use becomes problematic at death and now we have no one to turn to. One of the things that we like to do for all our clients is get a copy of the trust and all, all their legal documents just to review it, to make sure it's clear to us. Because a lot of times what happens is somebody passes away and then the trust documents are presented and the custodian or the bank who has the money will actually want to read through the trust documents. And if there's something confusing to them or they don't interpret uh, the certain language the way you interpret the language, it may cause, it'll cause confusion in the the accounts may not transfer the way you expect them to be transferred. We had a client a while back, two different accounts at two different financial institutions presented the presented death certificates and trust information. And each of the custodians interpreted the documents differently. So the client ended up with two separate beneficiary accounts, one in their individual name, one in their trust name. That's something that could have been avoided very simply if we were able to review the trust documents before we actually, before the death occurred. So that's one of the things that actually needs to be reviewed. And Terry, on that note, a lot of times what, when, we, when we're talking to clients, people have either never created trust documents or they did it 20 or 30 years ago and never looked at it. So how often should they be reviewed and looked at? And what, are, what, are, what should people be looking for when they are? Absolutely, that's a great point. Um, I like to review documents every two to five years or when there's a change in health, change in wealth, change in marital status, change in the tax law. So it's really good to be in communication with your advisors, including your attorney. Uh, most of the time our review is just making sure that um, it is exactly what they still want. And uh, the one thing that happens often when we do these reviews is, have you funded your trust properly? Have you looked at your um, beneficiary forms? Are they up to date? So I've had quite a few individuals that put their spouse, but they never put a successor beneficiary on that. And then it caused a probate unnecessarily. So even though they had four children, they were adults, they just never got around to it. So that's why it's really important to have uh, meet with your advisors like Daniel and, and John, they get to look at everything and go, is this really what you want? Let's talk about it further. And you would have all of your advisors um, sharing that information. It is important to have that. I've also had people that have lost their documents in fires. And, you know, if I weren't around, um, Daniel or John, you might have a copy of that trust, which would be essential for them to be able to uh, make sure that, you know, the effective documents are still in place. It is important. Well, and Daniel, talk to how we do store those documents. Let me make sure everybody understands we do not practice law, right? We mm -hmm. work with folks that are lawyers like uh, Terry here. Uh, but we do see some things that, as I say, become more problematic than they need to be. And we want to make things as simple as possible, particularly when things are in disarray. Now, one thing real quick, and that is Terry touched on the beneficiary designation. There's two points here that I think are very important. Oftentimes we see people take out an insurance policy and guess who they do not tell? Who's supposed to get the money? <laughs> no, maybe, I mean, I'd wanna know that. I'd wanna know who's I need to get to with what document so that if it's supposed to come to me, it comes to me. Because if I don't show up with the beneficiary with the death certificate and my name on the beneficiary designation, guess what? They're not going to alert me that you've died and I'm supposed to be getting this money. They will keep the money. That's typically how it happens. So this communication is so important important, might be uncomfortable, but if, if you're the beneficiary, you want to know who am I, what company do I need to get a hold of, and what do I need to do? Because see, once you present that death certificate, 
it's a slam dunk. You receive all the dollars you're supposed to receive. On that note, it, it, it cannot be more important for you to really look at your beneficiary designations. In other words, are they still the people you intend to have the money? And again, do they know what they're supposed to be getting? <laughs> they don't have to know how much, but they need to know that they're in line. So we worked with one lady and she was having some trouble with her bank account. And so we we're on the phone helping her kind of get her bank account squared away. And we said, okay, let's look at your beneficiary de designations on your your individual retirement account. And she looked at the five names. She says, I don't know any of those people. And I'm like, oh my goodness, things have changed. Let's see. Well, this is this is my handwriting and there's your signature and there's my signature from 1982. And I was recording the names and the, of the people who were supposed to be your beneficiaries, your beneficiaries. And clearly that those people are not important to you anymore. You don't remember who they are. So who do we need to put on the list? So we immediately went to work and she said, I don't know, I have to think about it. And it took us two months for her to come up with some names. But for us, that was very important because as I say, what good does it do for whatever the amount to be and it doesn't go to who's supposed to get it. So what else do you see here, Daniel? Well, what the, the question you had asked was what we do with the trust documents and all the legal documents for our clients is yes. we, we keep a copy in on our online star storage vault so they can be access they can be accessible anywhere in the world where the client has an internet connection and what we find is when you need them is you can't you can't find them or you don't know where you put them or you're not at home so we like to be able to keep a digital copy for our clients so we can always have them available for them well, that way, if you're in Zimbabwe, if you ever get on an airplane again, right, or London, wherever it might be, you're not trying to, one spouse trying to get to the family member to go to the house and to get the documents and then to make sure you fax them or mail them by some form it might show up in time. No, we'll keep one, uh, a copy electronically. That way, uh, we've got a, a, a system with which we can turn to and simply press print. And that way, whatever the doctor needs or, you know, the, the practitioner needs to uh, do the medical care that, that is necessary at that time, that they can follow those, uh, those instructions. We commonly do the electronic version um, for our clients and provide it to your advisors and including the summary of assets that we look at periodically. So that is really essential because the number one access is everything. Beautiful. All right. So you, you were talking about communication and uh, you were you're mentioning that uh, it's so important that, I mean, how, how much time do these kinds of conversations take? We only have a very short period of time ourselves. So, yes. Um, well, I think that the most important thing is to start the conversation and do it in little bits and chunks, I will call it, so that you lovingly get a little more information, ask for input around that, and you might get some really good advice from your family member to see how can I help? What are you needing from me right now? That's well, the and, key. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes going to like other people's situations is a way to oh, get the door open so that you can have a conversation Absolutely. about your situation. Use so, examples. Yes, Cherry Hilliard Olson, so glad you could join us. Folks, we, we really love doing this work. We hope that you like this work. Please let us know one way or the other. Your feedback is so important to us. On behalf of Daniel Medina, I'm John Grace. We want to thank you for joining us for Fiscal Fitness. We'll be back here a week from today, 12 to noon Pacific time on Voice America. We'll see you then. you for tuning to fiscal fitness please join john grace and co-host daniel medina again next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time on the voice america business channel have an excellent week